0: You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Thank you so much, too, for um, just your generosity and your support and sowing and investing into us. You know, we've had, in the last uh, year or so, some incredible opportunities, and you know time doesn't permit to share a lot. Maybe I can touch a little bit uh, tomorrow, but... We've been working um, uh, up in Geneva, in uh, within the United Nations context, um, with a group of people that are working in literally discipling nations, right. and uh, four times up into Geneva over the last twelve months, and seeing some incredible things. And you know, there's a lot happening in this world. I had the privilege uh, earlier um, last year of being in the Palais de Nations, in the headquarters of the United Nations, four doors down the corridor from where um, John Kerry, the Secretary of State, the um, Defense Minister of Russia and the Syrian um, partisans were uh, negotiating the uh, the treaty, the ceasefire for Syria, and it had failed three times, or Geneva 1 had failed, Geneva 2. And I was in a group with 25 people, some of the leaders within the United Nations, who are born-again spirit-filled believers. There's a lot of mess in the United Nations. There's a lot of liberality. There's a lot of really messy stuff. But God has actually placed some people in there, like Joseph's and Daniel's and Esther's, uh, to shape... Uh, including one man who is probably one of the fifth or the sixth most powerful people in the United Nations, spirit-filled born-again believer from El Salvador, who literally took his own United Nations to task um, because they had never permitted prayer in the United Nations for 70 years because it's a secular organization. They could host prayer breakfasts that were sponsored externally, but there was no official sanctioned prayer meeting. And this man took his own United Nations as literally a vice president of one of the four major United Nations expressions. Uh, He took them to task on human rights and said it's the human right of every staff member to have a valid expression of faith in their vocation, and he won. And so they instituted a a prayer meeting, a prayer gathering. Um, It had to be defined as interfaith to be accepted, but so far only Christians turn up to pray. And uh, every month they're allowed three or four visitors or sometimes up to five uh, external visitors. I... I was able to be part of that and literally be in a room whilst they were negotiating the ceasefire four doors down the corridor. And as we were praying and getting live updates on the screen, uh, the word came through that they'd agreed and signed the ceasefire. And uh, I got on a plane three hours later. I'd been at a few other meetings. And then CNN bursts on my smartphone saying, breaking news, ceasefire, signed, comes into effect midnight Friday. But we'd been in that room with people interceding. And to stand with some of these leaders of the United Nations... Uh, And I could literally show you some photos of being in their main hall and turning it into a time to pray and prophesy over ambassadors, over world leaders, over members of parliament who were present, uh, laying hands on them and praying. And to see such a senior diplomat make the statement, he says, we're experts at diplomacy, but our diplomacy is not enough to solve the crises of the world we're in. We need a move of God. We need God's spirit moving. And then to see literally that... That hall where they've negotiated everything, including the League of Nations in 1939. That very hall, that very room where where Germany walked out and Austria walked out. To be in that room and then start prophesying and declaring and amongst them. So, you know, part of your giving and all those things is enabling us to do this stuff and to sow into and build nations and work. And a number of the nations that we're working with are actually interesting Islamic nations, uh, Iraq, Yemen, and others that are actually allowing their ambassadors and their members of parliament to be taught what's called leadership principles, values-based leadership, because they've acknowledged and said, look, our, our values aren't working, but actually it's the kingdom wrapped up in these values that we're able to be part of. And so it's very cool. And, uh, and Craig, I do remember that that um, Get Smart event where the balcony was moving 100. It's designed to do that, right? 800 people plus on the balcony plus all the floor. It's designed to do it, unlike the doors that are designed to open outwardly, not inwardly. If you remember that very event, you know, we had these hundreds and hundreds of teenagers locked out of the, uh, they're in the foyer. The moment they opened the auditorium, no one told them the doors open out, they open in. So, of course, they had people come to me afterwards, poor old Andy Kabbalah comes and says, oh, your doors are smashed. And I'm like, anyone, anyone get hurt? He goes, no, no, like, can I get fixed? He's like, yep. And I'm like, well, that's okay, you know, <laughs> come back next year, you know. So um, anyway, it's an awesome, awesome event. Hey, tonight is going to be really, really cool. It's really cool, you know. I mean, look, I have the privilege of looking out at a sea of faces, right? But I know behind every single face is a story. And I know that behind every single person is these divine callings. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, awesome works that God planned in advance for us to do. And I want you to understand destiny It's not some 15 minutes of spiritual fame. It's not some one single event that our life converges to. Destiny is like a mosaic throughout life where these good works, these things you're called to do, build a relationship, build families, touch an individual, shape something, birth something, form something, be entrepreneurial. do All these things are like segments of that mosaic that eventually spell destiny. Unless, of course, you, you, you pull back from it and then it will just spell something like this or do, you know. And, and, I, and my prayer is that like what I, I was sharing with God's, from God's Word this morning, are those key principles that you've got to understand you are called to build something. And you've got to understand that God gives you the raw, the ordinary, but he gives you the grace within it to call out that goal, to find it, put Christ at the center. But I also mentioned this morning this theme that we're looking at of Overcome. Has those three elements in meaning. One aspect is the word of a sense of military conquering over an opponent. The second is to achieve something, which is that building. You know, man, I conquered this. I, I did this. I built this. I climbed that. You know, and then the third I mentioned about was that whole legal aspect to to, to be a overcomer. That that word nakio to mean to have won, to be validated in a judicial system. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the first aspect of overcoming in a sense of, of winning in warfare. And the way I want to do this is, is not to get your horse by shouting at the enemy and, and, and trying to sort of, you know, sim, uh, simply think of that spiritual warfare aspect of, of, you know, sort of ripping the devil's arm off and hitting him with a wet end or ripping off his head and spitting down his throat or some sort of spiritual warfare of, come on, man, let's smash this. I want to show you his weapons. And I want to show you how to be aware of them. The title tonight is going to be interesting. The title is Are You Ready for This? Right? And I, and I don't have a lisp. Are you ready for this? And shortly you'll see what I mean by this. Okay? Not TH, this. But I want to start by reminding you of this whole thing of what you're called to build. It's interesting. When I look through scripture, and I've just noted just a few small examples here. I mean, goodness, pick up the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You've got half a dozen of them in your first few verses. But Noah built a boat. Abraham built a family. Jacob built an altar. Israel built a nation. Joseph built a program for economic sustainability in a pagan world. Moses built a tabernacle. Solomon built a temple. Nehemiah built a city wall and gave its people security and definition. Esther built an escape plan to rescue a nation from genocide. Jesus built the church, and the New Testament is accounts of believers who took the mandate to transform people, communities, cities, and nations, and started building the kingdom. And the book is called the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, not the intentions. It's the book of Acts, not the book of the intentions, right? It's not like, you know, and so Noah thought about building a boat, Uh, you know, Joseph thought about doing this, and Esther thought about maybe I could make an impact, and I don't want to burst too many bubbles, I have too much of a go at the whole generation of, 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 you know, awareness, social media, you know, clicking something on Facebook, that's called an intention, but it wasn't the book of intentions, it's the oh. book of acts, you know, I, I get frustrated, and I tell my own millennial generation who I love dearly, I actually love them a little bit more than most, to be honest with you. But I tell them, don't you get caught up in this thing where you think just simply raising awareness is enough. Oh, what do you do? Oh, man, I was part of that project, you know. What did you Oh, we raised awareness. Wow. Jesus raises the dead and you raise awareness? <laughs> awesome. How did you do that? Oh, I clicked like on Facebook and I was one of 428,000 people who clicked like and we raised awareness. I'm like, for goodness sake, man, build something. Do something. I mean, I mean, come on, right? I mean, Coney 2012, the biggest social media campaign to raise awareness ever, the biggest flop. And, I, and, and I, I, I'm not dissing the person, right, literally diss. I'm not dissing the person who started that campaign. They came under incredible spiritual attack. Actually, they went crazy. They got arrested for doing some weird stuff, Right because of the spiritual attack that came, but the gear was, hey, man, we're going to raise awareness. We're gonna... It was the biggest social media campaign had people buy into it, Coney, 2012. We're going to catch this dude who's, who's destroying people and sex trafficking and slavery and that. It's now 2017, and he's still out there. It was a flop, a failure. Why? Because, you see, things don't change by clicking like. Right? right. Things change when you actually go and do something. Right. It's the book of the Acts of the Apostle, not the book of the intentions. So so don't, don't just be aware that you're called to build something. Build it. Do something. But in doing it, recognize the other common denominator of everything I read there. Every one of those people, from Esther through to Joseph to you name it, is that every single thing they were called to do met opposition. Everything that they were called to do, every person who has set out to build anything, Every mission of God will meet resistance because there are two kingdoms. God, devil, creation, entropy, momentum, inertia. Everything has an opposing force. Every mission that you're called to build, every purpose in your life will meet resistance. That's why I love this verse in John 16, 33. And I, I love, was it Joe this morning who was telling us and about how God is straight up and just says it like it is. You know, in this world, you will have trials. In other words, you will have challenges is what the word means, right? But don't fear. I got this, he says. I've actually overcome. I've I've won this thing, right? So what I want to talk to you about tonight and show you is how the enemy attempts to resist and overcome what you're called to overcome. And by displaying to you this one common element, this one common tool or weapon he uses, it's like the old, uh, you know, famous Chinese was he Chinese or Japanese warrior Sun Tzu who says, "If you know your enemy, you'll win a hundred battles." Right? Know yourself and know your enemy. I'm going to show you what this weapon is that he uses. Right. I don't have time to go into it in great depth, but I, I want to encourage you to read the book of Nehemiah. It's one of the most awesome books on how to find and fulfill your purpose in life. The first few chapters in Nehemiah talk about how to find your purpose. Then it talks about how to fuel it. Then it talks about literally how to form it, and then how to fund it, how to resource it. It talks then about how to fight for it, and finally how to finish it. And what I love about the book of Nehemiah is it's a character who was called to build something. It was after the Jews whose... The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed and ransacked. They'd been carried into captivity for 70 years, the ultimate ethnic slavery. And then a few of them, a handful, a remnant, returns to a city that was eventually returned to them. But it's destroyed. The first group under Ezra rebuilds the temple. Remember the message this morning. Temple or tower. The first group goes in and spends 30 years restoring the temple. But the city is still a mess. And then God calls Nehemiah to build the city. And it gives me great faith because God doesn't just want a temple, He wants a city. Yeah. Right? He doesn't even just want a great church, He wants a city one. It's about discipling nations. The church is the vehicle of the kingdom. Right. The kingdom's bigger than the church, right? In the same way that all of Australia is in the southern hemisphere, but not all the southern hemisphere is in Australia. Right. right? All of the kingdom, the church is in the kingdom, but the kingdom is bigger. He wants us to, to disciple cities disciple nations. What I love about the book of Nehemiah is he finds this young man called Nehemiah and he commissions him to go and rebuild the city, the city walls, its defenses, and and give the city definition so it can be populated and become the city of God again. But Nehemiah wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. he, He wasn't a rabbi. He was a barista, a sommelier, a concierge. He was a cup bearer, a wine taster for the king. And it gives me this incredible incredible um, encouragement that that God will seek out this hospitality worker, this person who's working in a lay job in a pagan world where he's been in slavery for years and then calls him into this commission. I could preach to you for days on, on the whole book of Nehemiah. But one of the other things I find in this book is that within literally a matter of hours of them starting this process, Nehemiah is called he gets a vision he fasts he prays he fuels this vision before he goes to do something with it and he gets there he gathers the people they're saying things like oh man there's so much rubble we don't even know if this wall can ever be rebuilt he encourages them he talks about the hand of God on him and the favor of the king and then the people say yeah let's do it he says come on let us rebuild they're like yeah let's rebuild Within an hour or two two of it happening, Sandballat, Tobiah, and Gershom, three opposing pagan um, people groups, hear about it and they send people, first and foremost with words, the stomata principle, the sonic bloom, and they start to speak and they say, Hey, you cannot rebuild this. You're not capable. This wall, these, these stones you want to use, this, this equipment is, is ruined. It's been burnt with fire. Even if a fox runs upon this wall, it will fall down. And they start this process of resistance. As, as the Jews under Nehemiah's leadership start to get more and more about the task, then they start to send threats and opposition and, and, and a threat of war to a point where fear uh, and intimidation becomes these weapons that the enemy uses. And the people, they start to sort of fear what's going to happen and pull back. Um, and, and, they, and, and these enemies come and they, they say, you know, before you even know it, whilst you're working on the wall, we'll be slaughtering your children in your homes. We will kill you. It's, it's this incredible attack. And as you read through the book of Nehemiah, you find all these different ways in which the enemy came against this incredible work of God we find that the enemy brought in all these different aspects of of attacks at the key times of the commencement of the mission when they were making progress and near the completion of the mission. And every one of these things had this one purpose in mind, and that was to stop the work or to destroy the work. But what was really interesting is, as I studied this years ago, probably close to 20 years ago, I noticed this recurrent theme. I actually even preached a whole series on the weapons that the enemy used, and I, 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 I pointed out things like discouragement, distraction, disappointment, discontent, discrediting, all these different things, and then one day it dawned on me, the common denominator, every weapon the enemy used, from discouragement to discrediting to distraction to you name it, there was a dis in it presence of dis discourage distract disappoint discredit and so my question to you in what you're called to build is simply this are you ready for this are you ready for this I need Colin and Craig is it Colin and Craig Colin and Chris I, I need you you lads to come on up here I want to show you how the enemy works and I need my other three friends I need I I need S and I need D Grab what you need to grab, and I want to show these people what happens here. Okay. Colin, come on up here. Chris, come on up here. I want you to stand over here. We'll give these guys a little bit of room, right? Make sure you haven't spelt Sid or Ids, okay? (laughs) Right. Colin is like a personification of Nehemiah. He's a person called with a mission. He's like you. What are you called to build, right? Called to build a great family, build a great church, build build a great mission, build a great business, build a great whatever it may be. God gifts you certain things. He equips you. Like I said, within that land, he's given you the raw material. So, for example, one of the things God knows is that if Colin is actually going to accomplish this mission, he needs courage, right? Right? We've got two mates up here, right? Mateship, friendship. And he knows as long as Colin has Craig alongside him, who personifies, have I got it around the right way? Chris, Chris is a great name. Just need a T in your Christ. Come on, man. He's got courage. This, This dude looks like courage, right? He's jacked, right? Courage, okay? So courage, stand here. Colin? There, these two guys together, man. You know, one puts 1,000 to flight, two puts 10,000. What is interesting is everything that God gives, every gift that God gives you, the enemy actually cannot destroy. Now, you've got to get this, right? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Your mission in life cannot be touched by the devil. And this is where people get messed up. They're like, well, man, you know, God's given me this, and this is of God. Uh, so, so how can the enemy destroy it? He actually can't. And he doesn't even try to. If you read the book of Nehemiah, you're going to find one incredible thing. For days, for weeks, for months, this enemy of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gershom, their armies, everything they did, every discouragement, every act of distraction, every threat, Every every single thing, every weapon that they formed, not once did a battering ram touch the city wall. Not once did a bullet or a stone fly. Not once did a sword come down. Yet numerous times they were able to stop the work. They were able to take people and disappoint them, to, to take them from what they were doing and cause them to stop. They created infighting. They created schisms. They discredited Not once did any physical single weapon of those enemies, those three armies, touch the city wall or the people because they couldn't and they didn't need to. And you've got to understand that the, the, the enemy cannot take your courage. Courage is of God. It cannot be removed, right? If this is Colin's mission in life, the mission cannot be destroyed, right? Whatever this thing is called, his calling, is irrevocable. The gifts God gives, the callings, the gifts are without repentance. The the gifts his calling cannot. So I want to ask you this question, right? How many things that you're called to do are incomplete? How many things that you're called to actually build have stopped? Because, see, the enemy will resist these works, and his, his object is to destroy them and to stop them. But he can't actually touch them. He has no power over them. But what he does have is he has a weapon. Where's my D? Come on up here, man. I want you to wedge yourself in between these guys. Where's my I? I want you to wedge and still spell. Where's my S? Right? You know where to go. You see... I would go in there if I was you, yeah. Yeah, that would really work and help. Life's got talent. I'm only teasing, right? I'm dissing you. Diss. Are you ready for this? The word dis means to be apart from. You see, we have words like dishonor. Disregard, disappoint, discourage. When you dishonor someone, you keep them apart from honor. When someone is honored, you respect. Disrespect means to be apart from respect. The enemy's greatest weapon is this, where he will keep you from. You see, he can't destroy courage. It's not Able to be destroyed for it comes from God. But what he can do is he can actually wedge and put Colin apart from courage. And then we are discouraged. You know the word disappointment? Disappointment. Oh man, I was really disappointed. The word appoint means to be set in place. It means to furnish, to set out. You appoint a room. It's interesting. The first thing Nehemiah did was appoint people. He appointed certain people to build certain parts of the wall. He took people from men and women, young, old. He he took and he assigned them tasks. I love teaching preachers on this because it says, you know, in leadership, he even chose the rulers of districts to look after certain walls. One of them was the dung gate, right? The sewage came out. I remember preaching at a pastor's conference and saying, if you're called of God to be a leader, you've got to learn how to deal with the in life, right? The dung in life. And this pastor, an old 70-year-old pastor, stands up and says, can I suggest if you're called to minister in the dung gate, you get to know the perfume maker, right? (laughs) Because a few verses earlier, it says he chose goldsmiths and perfume makers and people, all these artisans to build the city wall, right? But Nehemiah appointed people to do things. But then you read through the book of Nehemiah, the enemy comes with all these words of doubt and intimidation and challenge and threat. And these people withdrew from their appointed positions and they were disappointed. Disappointed. Every time you feel disappointed, it's a weapon of the enemy. But you've got to understand, all he's done is he's separated you from your appointment. Well, yeah, no, look, I started doing that ministry and I was involved in this area and I just got disappointed. Like, you expect we're going to come and hug you, right? And sympathy. No, no, you, you, you've got to recognize the diss. If you ever find yourself saying, oh, I'm, I'm not doing this now because I was disappointed, don't look for sympathy. Realize, flip, I got I got smacked with a weapon. Oh, so the enemy's purpose of that stink attitude person who, who gave me hassle, that was the enemy's way of Disappointing me. So you accept it, you've lost. He can't destroy your appointment, but he can disappoint you. Courage. He can't take your courage away, he can just take you from your courage. Right? That's why I love the word encourage, to bring, to enter. So what happens is the enemy has this incredible pattern. You know, you, you go through, just hang there for a while, guys. You go through all these different areas, right? discourage dishonor disregard disown disagreement discontentment one of the reasons why you have what's called the power of agreement where two or three shall agree on any one thing it's like man we can do this yeah. the amazing thing of course is disagreement is where people come in and take you apart from agreement right and all of a sudden well there's this disagreement in a relationship where was the power well the power was in the agreement So the enemy brings and introduces this thing called dis, right? The same thing happens when it comes to distraction. Look, I I would love to take you right into the book of Nehemiah and show you how the final weapon of the enemy was distraction. And the reason why is that he tried to use discouragement. They used their words. They'd come. They'd send people. It's interesting. After a while, the very people building the wall would come to Nehemiah and say, oh, we can't do this. They're going to attack us. They say that the swords are going to kill our children whilst we're working. There's a subtle little verse, and it says, and the people who were living close to Sanballat and Tobiah in the regions, they came and told us ten times over that we would be attacked. Ten times over. And then Nehemiah says, but the man whose commission was to sound the trumpet stayed next to me. It's interesting, the people who got away from the presence of the vision carrier couldn't see the wall for the rubble. But the people who were with the vision carrier couldn't see the rubble for the wall. And so much is about proximity. His proximity to courage will determine whether he's encouraged or discouraged. The final attack of the enemy, when he couldn't discourage and he he tried to discredit Nehemiah, they brought in discontentment. They brought in all these disses. Finally, they send the word to Nehemiah, and he says this. Sam Ballot says, look, come away from the task. Come and meet us in the valley of Ono. I mean, that's enough of a clue, Oh no, right? Oh, no, right? <laughs> and let's talk about this thing. Let's talk about this. And I love Nehemiah's response. He says, I shall not leave the work of God. I shall not go down to where you are. It was a dis. Traction. And there's a lot of things that you're like, man, I'm called to build this incredible business. Well, why didn't it happen? Oh, I just got distracted, right? Well, I was in this relationship and stuff like that, and I felt we we're going to really have something. And why didn't it, why didn't it come to anything? Oh, I don't know. I just got distracted. That's what I was saying to you about the whole thing of the book of intentions. Oh, yeah, man. I, I remember that day where I felt God called me, and he said, you know, you're going to set this up, and you're going to do this. and You're going to help transform this area of music and ministry, media, and, 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 and get in the world and do uh, what happened? Oh, you know, I just got busy doing other stuff and I got distracted. So now let's look at the word "tract." The word distract means to be apart from traction. And the word traction means to be drawn or pulled towards something. Hence the word attraction. Man, I'm attracted to her. I mean, when I first met my wife, What was it? goodness, 35 years ago, we were at a youth camp And it was the last night of the 12th meeting, 12 meetings at a youth camp over five days. And they said, hey, turn around and shake hands with the person behind you. I did that and never let go. (laughs) And now I've been married for 32 years, this gorgeous girl, right? I was attracted to her from day one, right? So to be attracted is to be drawn towards. There's this traction that you build, right? When you are distracted, you're kept apart from traction. So it's like, so, so why, why are you not winning at that thing? Why, why are you not succeeding? Why are you not building that? Why, why aren't you doing something? Oh, man, I just got distracted. Oh, the diss again. The diss came in, right? You've been kept apart from. It's a simple message tonight, but I need to tell you. If you can only learn this one key of warfare, And that is to be aware of the dis. The moment you sense you are coming apart from the presence and the proximity of the things God has given you. Courage. Appointment. Honour. Credit. Agreement. Ownership. What's it mean to disown something? What's it mean to own? Appointment. I'm going to go after a few of these tonight. Because there are disappointed people in this room disappointed, but you've been appointed by God. You have been called. You have been set in place. And the diss is going tonight, right? We're losing the diss. The diss is out of here, right? So people who have been disappointed are going to be reappointed. There are people here tonight, you have been discouraged, kept apart, wedged apart from courage well, you're going to be encouraged tonight and encouraged. People hear the same thing when it comes to honor, into, into appointment, into the sense of traction, restoring traction. When we see the lads up here, I want you to understand and, and, and realize that the one thing you see modeled here is a thing called proximity. Right, The moment... Chris, come on over here. Come back. Stand right next to Colin. I prophesy over you literally that you are symbolizing courage, mission, purpose, calling, honor, appointment, everything, right? Do you notice what's just happened? All that's happened is the proximity and positioning has changed. So now we have encouraged, right? So God says, hey, I'm calling you to build things, and I'm going to resource you with these streams. What I never told you this morning, just, just so much we could have done, right? As I mentioned about the, that garden of ha- and even Havilah, where he sets you, he gives you raw material, then he resources. And I mentioned those names, um, Gihon and Pison and the Euphrates and, and the names. Those rivers' um, meanings mean fruitfulness, abundance. It means increase in flow. The word Havilah literally means a cycle or, or continuum that ever replenishes itself. And the word Eden means pleasure. And so you look at it, God says, hey, the thing I'm going to call you to do is going to be a place of pleasure, a place of delight, a place of fulfillment. And and I'm going to put you in a land which has a cycle or a circle that continuously replenishes itself. And the streams I'll resource you with will be abundance, fruitfulness, bursting forth, one of the means. And, And this whole thing, right? So the moment you are out from those things or apart from those things and have lost the proximity, you're apart from the things that God has given you. You've got to understand courage, your appointment, traction. All these things are those resources. So all the enemy does is come back, lads, one at a time, wedge these guys again. And they sneak in through attitudes. They sneak in through offense. <laughs> they, 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 they sneak in through different ways. But the moment you recognize it, right? The moment you recognize offense and it's purpose, right? It's like that thing is never the issue. The issue is proximity, okay? I could have quit a hundred times the so-called ministry thing, right? I could have quit it a hundred times because of things that had happened, people that let you down, failures that occur, unfulfilled promises, all these different things, until I realized, goodness, the moment I just surrender one inch Because of that offense, all I've done is pull myself from what God's appointed me to do, right? So, finally, can you give it up for these guys? We'll let them sit down. Thank you. So here's the key. Here's the key. And I want to prove it to you with a simple passage, right? Discouragement. To be apart from courage. Fear, doubt, intimidation are subsets. When God comes and says to Joshua, do not fear. Take courage. He says one thing. Why? Why? Because I'm with you. In Isaiah, if you go through the fire, you go through the flame, you go through the waters. Don't fear. Why? Because I'm with you. Okay? Everything in overcoming is about presence and proximity. Where do you find courage? In the presence of God. Where do you find joy? In the presence of God. It's all about proximity. Right? So how do you overcome this? You get in his presence. Wherever God is and getting God on things, all those elements will be there. The more you move from him, the more you move. I remember doing a series in church on hard questions like, did God create a hell and a heaven? Is hell and heaven real? God never created hell. Actually, hell only exists in the absence of God, literally. Hell is where God is not. Okay? There is no such thing as darkness. Any scientist will explain that to you. There is no such thing as darkness. Darkness is simply measures of absence of light. There's actually no such thing as cold. There is no such thing as cold. It's just a lack of heat. The truth of that, any air conditioning person will tell you, that in minus 15 degrees in Queenstown, you can have an air conditioning unit, a heat exchange unit, that can turn that minus 15 into heat in your room. Why? Because as long as it can get and produce minus 30 the minus 15 air, this thing is colder. It exchanges the 15 balance, sends it into your room. They've just sent 15 degrees of heat. In other words, cold is only measured by the absence of heat. Dark is only measured by the absence of light. Okay? So the thing about God is hell is only where he is not. Wherever God is, there is love, there is joy, there is peace. If Where God is, all this stuff is present. Hell is simply where God is not. So God doesn't need to create hell. If someone says, I choose not to be with God, they instantly are in a place where he's not, right? Everything in your life that has any value will be in his presence. Any time in your life you've felt dishonor, discouragement, disappointment, it means he's not there, right? Not there in the sense of God is everywhere, not there in the sense that you have to realize his presence again. And so what we're going to do over these next few minutes to see people reappointed, to see people re-encouraged, to see people lose the diss, is we're not going after those things. We don't actually have to go after the enemy. We don't have to shout and stand and stomp on his head and that. There's a time and a place for that in other areas. What we've got to do is come back into his presence. And as our worship team comes, this is what we're going to do, Right? You can be in the presence of greatness and yet not encounter. You'll know that if you've ever flown on a plane, right? You can be four or five seats away from some Billy Slater or, or, or some singing, you know, sort of movie star or something. You're in their presence, but you don't encounter them, okay? And it can be the same with God. You can be in an environment where God's presence is, but you've got to learn how to encounter him. And as you encounter his presence, you'll find that appointment you'll lose the disappointment. You'll find that courage and calling. So come on, I want you to stand with me tonight. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.